Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be looking at whether or not people are going to be coming back to the Catholic Church after this coronavirus thing. Yeah, after so many people have been home for so long and have had dispensations from attending Mass, are they going to actually come back after all this time? I know this is arguable, but I've got a hard take. People are coming back, and they're coming back in droves. Let me tell you why. All right. Well, that's a bold statement there, Father. Good to be with you guys, Ryan. Father Rich, how you guys doing? Always great to be with you guys. I'm having a beautiful day in the office, and it's always just such a great conversation. And this is a conversation that we definitely need to have because yeah. a lot of people have opinions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's good to finally have both of you back. It's been a while since all three of us have been together for an episode with vacations and, and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, nice to see you guys. Yeah, bro. Yeah. You, you, how was my hat on vacation? Is it is it faded even more? <laughs> mm, I can't. I kind of lost it. <laughs> Your hat is gone, along with my power cable, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> oh, uh, well, that's they, all those things that Ryan had and were entrusted to him are gone. <laughs> but I think also are all the people who have been at home for church over the last three, four months are they gone too? Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, I think that the reality of the situation is, is that whether or not it happens, I think there's a high likelihood that a lot of people who were going to mass or kind of tenuously hanging on are never coming back. Um, you know, when you're in a habit of doing something and then you stop doing it, you know, if you exercise every day and then you're like, eh, you hurt your ankle and you stop exercising, a lot of people stop going back to exercise at all. They never go back to the gym. And I don't think it's going to be that dissimilar from actually going to mass every week. You know, when that, when that habit has been broken, it's been dispensed. They maybe watch a, you know, a mass online, or maybe they find that their life isn't dramatically changed by not going to mass anymore. Why would they come back? And I think that's a real danger that the church needs to address coming up over the next few months. Yeah. I I was like, I mean, I, I think like, you know, let's go back, right. That there, there was that, there was a time where you couldn't go to church in, in, in the state of Texas. So, I mean, like everything's different right now. Like in California, like I know friends that are moving because they're just like this state is just dealing a crushing blow to our church because um, you can only have mass outside and they got all these, you know, militant, you know, uh, rules and regulations. The other thing is, is like in, in our church, they opened up like half or something like that, half capacity. So with, with the understanding that everybody has different, you know, regulations regarding this, um, you know, you're going to see different things. I think, wouldn't you think father Pagano, like you would see different reactions of parishes to this, or would it be kind of a blanket thing to just start this conversation and say, Hey, coronavirus, nobody's going to mass. Like what, you know, how's this work? Some pastors are reaching out digitally you know, we as a company at Fuzati are seeing are seeing organizations move into the digital space, which we've been, you know, championing forever because it's a great medium to reach people. So you're you're seeing a vacuum. You're also seeing things filled. But I think it's important to look at what this vacuum is, right? How how it's being addressed spiritually, and on the back end of this thing, what does it look like? You know, coming back. You know, you're saying coming back in droves. Like why, right? So I think I think to. to unpack this a little bit we probably need to start you know going through each one of those segments just to kind of understand it a little bit more you know i I wouldn't expect anything uh, more insightful from you ryan i mean that was perfect insight as it relates to the digital space and what people are doing and to your question you know yeah it's we can't really give a blanket statement as to what's going to happen in every region what's going to happen in every state what's going to happen in every nation as it relates to the coronavirus and what the retention rate is with people returning to church. 
So, you know, I really don't like generalizations anyway, but I do find that if if people are engaging their parishioners uh, by way of any digital communication, even if it's email or even if it's mailers or whatever that people feel ministered to during this time, they most certainly will return. But my my hard take is definitely not based on, uh, you know, the, the fact that, you know, this people are going to come back in droves based on that type of effort. I, I truly believe in, and I do love Ryan Shields' uh, point about exercise. You know, yeah, when people maybe get injured or something happens emotional in their life and they kind of get off the track of exercising physically, the same thing can happen spiritually as well. But I think spiritually more so than physically, we're inclined to encounter the suffering that we face in the world and we we search adamantly for meaning and reconciliation. Sometimes we want to run away from our suffering, so we turn to addictive tendencies and what is what's within opportunistic reach in our world to numb the pain. But ultimately, the reason why I take my position, I look, I look forward to really engaging this position with you guys, but it's the mystery of the cross. It's the mystery of suffering and finding in Christ the consolation that in our suffering, we are not alone. And especially from the Eucharistic banquet, the fact that we are fed his body and blood and the Paschal mystery is presented in the church, I do think that we will go through a purification and those who are coming back to the altar will be purely communing with Christ and that witness is going to inspire the droves to return. So I think it will be a purification and no matter where it leads us, I think we will really populate very, very well as it relates to people coming to the true faith. You know, I, I think... I think I get your point, and maybe I'm a little bit more pessimistic, but I, I also, I kind of... Wait, wait, wait. On the back end. Wait, Ryan, you, did you say you were pessimistic? Quote it. <laughs> Quote it a little bit. <laughs> but I also agree... I also agree it in stone. On the back end of it is that, sure, I think in the, in the immediate, um, when churches all come back, there's a lot of people who... When they, when they got out of the habit of going, they're not going back to Mass. They're just not because their life was not obviously being changed by the Mass when they were attending. And when they no longer had to go, they noticed no change in their life. So why would they go back to something that wasn't making an impact anyway? But I, I think I that the know, people— I, I don't know, Shio. Like, you know, even just this past weekend, I had people come to Mass, and afterwards they came up to me. And this is—I'm in Florida, right? So— Media is covering us like, you know, we're going to fall off of the country and, and fall out into the Atlantic Ocean, how many cases of coronavirus we have and, and you know, travel advisories and, and all of these other things. I had people come back, you know, to church this weekend expressing, Father, this is the most important thing in my life. And I've come to realize that in quarantine. And I am willing to say, if I'm going to die of this coronavirus, I'm going to die by practicing my faith day in and day out and practicing with the community at the church. So there's also that testimony of people who are already returning in such turbulent times. At first, the fear and the fear mongols that that really kind of drove people out of the church and their practice, you know, people are starting to see there's a vacuum, like like Delacross was saying, in their life. And they're missing something and they're starting to equate that to their faith and the practice of faith. Yeah, and I think that was my point, is that there will be less people going back. But the people who go back, who do actually go back, and I'll say it's probably the majority. Let's say out of every 10, maybe 8 actually end up coming back. Maybe 9, right? But those 9 are going to be much more on fire with the faith. So, you know, it's kind of like pruning a rose bush, that every spring you have to cut it back and then it grows stronger because there's a, a stronger base and stronger roots to it. And I think that's what we might experience here is that a lot of the people who are no longer being nourished or who were tenuously, you know, experiencing anything of the church will leave. But the people who go are going to be more on fire. And, you know, we might not see it immediately, but in a year, maybe two, those fruits will start to kind of, you know, bloom and blossom over all of this. And, and allow yeah. me to say this, too. <clears throat> I've been a priest now for eight years, and I've been in the church for close to 20. And I have yet to see the numbers of people who are non-Catholics come to my office or reach out to me expressing that they want to become Catholic 
right now in the context of what they're facing. Now, again, like we were talking about before, I don't want to say that I don't want to say that generally speaking, that this is the case everywhere. Right. So we, we do a lot of work online and we try to build our social media, you know, reach and we try to build our, our parish base and we try to put the, the materials and the message out there, whether it's YouTube or whatever, uh, from the parish base. So a lot of people are interacting with us online and certainly the show locally. So people are coming to the church searching because they have received something digitally and they're they want to become Catholic. And we see that all the time in our feeds as well. Yeah, I, I I'm looking at this. I think I think if you kind of boil this all down, we're looking at how this affects the human soul and first and then and then how the human soul moves through this these circumstances through this pandemic or whatever you want to call it and 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 where that fits in the economy of the church right mm-hmm. and that's that's what we're talking about and and we're we're talking about nuances of that and and I I I I'm seeing a lot just like you father rich where you know I'm now you you have you have families who are uh, you know are teaching their kids now because of, of schools being closed. And then you have this vacuum of parents saying, well, if they let religious schools open in Texas, we're going to send our kids to a religious school. And so now I've got neighbors who aren't religious sending their kids to religious schools simply to put them into a place where they can actually work and provide for their family. Uh, and with the understanding that this you know, religious institution is now taking your child in, now they're being opened up to the faith. You're seeing people who are, are, are all the bad things are coming out, right? Because of this isolation. So they're not as distracted. So they're sitting there with themselves and they're experiencing something and realizing that they need an antidote or realizing that they need something to change in their life. Um, and, and church and religion and other things are things that they're seeking out. So, you know, you've got all these different, you know, nuances of how God is working through these circumstances. And sometimes it's through a lot of pain and the cross. Uh, sometimes it's circumstantial where, you know, it's just like you're now you're now faced with this realization that the only way to, you know, get get it to where you're trying to get it is to send your kid to a religious school now. And and the ones I'm thinking of are really solid, right? Like my son's school uh, is run by Opus Day, and I can't say enough about the Western Academy. And for for people to send their boys there, it's good for the for the parents. So you know, you're seeing this flood of of people in Texas, right? See, it's it's all different in the circumstances. It's all different. Um, yeah, but Texas so, is a so, dramatically different state than most places in the country. But and, allow me to say, allow me to say, then, Shield, because even in Florida, I'm seeing the same trends and we don't have a lot of traditional Catholic education schools, driven schools. We, we have diocesan schools and the fact that it's based on tradition in the Catholic faith, people are turning to that right now because we aren't delaying kids coming back to the school. So you know, you we're guys going are to be starting. Yeah, we're opening. We're opening at the beginning of August. So, you what know, an that, opportunity! It's an incredible opportunity. opportunity. Yes. I completely agree. We're on the same. We're on the same page, dude. And the other thing that I'm seeing too is that a lot of people are moving to traditional homeschooling platforms like St. Elizabeth Ann Seton or other traditional programs that are very, very fruitful, communicating a a strong basis of philosophy, of ancient language, of history, of all of these different things that have been proven very, very successful among many families. Now, families that have always sent their kids to public school or even to Catholic school are shifting to this model because they're becoming accustomed to homeschooling their kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've even heard a story. I was talking to Joanna today. Uh, she's been my right hand woman for years uh, at, at Fuzati. And she was saying that, uh, you know, because I'm seeing friction with parents both working, teaching their kids. There's a mass amount of friction. They call my wife, who's a homeschooler. My wife's like, you should be going crazy. You're working and you're trying to teach your kid. That's two different jobs. Like, you can't do this. The other side of it is, when a mom does this and sees the, you know, the growth in their child, they're like, I want to leave my job. I am loving seeing my child grow in knowledge, grow in understanding. This is something I want to do. And so they, she left her job. 
So there's all these different nuances. It's really kind of exciting to talk about. It really know, is. There. And I, I think that that there's a concern for people sending their children to a school that they really don't know the curriculum that's being driven into their children's head. <laughs> right. The curriculum's now in your face. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. It's now in your face. Now you see what now your you kids see are. what your kids are learning. Yeah. Right. Because I've never dropped my kid off <clears throat> of school and, and just picked him up. You know, I always like look at all the stuff he's learning all the time. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> But your wife does. <laughs> I know that for sure. God bless that woman. I love her, man. Oh, you are oh blessed. You are blessed. So, Padre, are you seeing are you seeing the same amount of people um, in your masses that you were before coronavirus? Are you seeing the same amount of people? Or are you seeing less, seeing more? What do, what are you experiencing? Shield broke from this past week to this week. We I have four masses on the weekend. I have two vigil masses. And I have two Sunday masses and, you know, we were considering for a while that second vigil mass, mm -hmm. you know, for 4th of July weekend, it it dropped down to like maybe 20 people, which is understandable. It's 4th of July, but we wanted to monitor how many people were attending. It doubled in size this past weekend. All of the masses practically doubled in size just from this past weekend to this weekend. And I have, I have alternative means how, how people can attend the liturgy whether digitally, we're still we're still streaming that out online through YouTube and Facebook, but also you can come and attend outside where we stream a live stream of every single mass, sit under the tent. We're trying to invest in getting some fans because it is Florida and it's humid, but people bring their own chairs and they sit at a social distance and that's been working really well. And then the people that sit inside, we, you know, we clean all the inside by spraying and, and all that stuff. So we clean everything. And then we have everybody sitting at, at a social distance with families. So it's but that's, still not pre, that's still not pre-corona levels, though. No, it's it's definitely not. But we're, what we're, increasing, we're increasing little by little, um, you without a doubt. Are 50% back yet? Yeah, I would say probably 50%. 50%. Yeah, I, I mean, now that brings something up, though. That is... No, I know a lot of people are still donating online, but there's going to be a lot of churches where they're not. And... You're going to have, in my opinion, you're going to have almost a death spiral where you have less people going, bringing in less donations, which means that the parish and the priests are going to be able to do less outreach to get more people, which means less people are going to go. And then when the winter comes, you're not going to be able to have outdoor masses in most areas. Um, so right now is a really critical um, junction where priests, pastors, and bishops need to make some wise and shrewd decisions on how to invest and right now is the time to invest your money and your outreach in getting people because if you don't now and if you're trying to be you know have a rainy day fund it's the rainy day right now today is the rainy day That's a great this is point. what you saved your money for is right now because if you don't do it now and you think well we'll just trickle it out you're you're in for a world of hurt um and then how does a priest then when they say, okay, well, restrictions are lifted and there's no more dispensation for missing mass. How does a priest say, if you don't go to mass, you're sitting when there's no more dispensation when people are afraid of getting coronavirus? Well, how do you, how do you tell them you either, you either risk your body or your soul and you're putting that dilemma between people that puts priests in a weird situation. How do bishops yeah. lift that dispensation? These are things that are kind of, you know, unprecedented right? right and they need to be gotten right or it is going to be calamitous for the church and i don't see enough discussion really on on a reopening plan and on the outreach and the reinvestment in evangelization digitally so that when people can't come back they do but the it's diocese the, the diocese the, the diocese is is it shouldn't be guiding a lot of this stuff i think it's a parish decision a priest says to his flock, I'm going to get online. I'm going to do this. Because what, what happens with dioceses is, is you got a very small group of people, sometimes not equipped to make decisions, right? Same These thing parish stuff. No, but listen, listen. The problem with the diocese doing it is now they create some sort of blanket thing, right? And it's And it's not useful. And then they tell the parishes that they have to use it. Right. Or do it or whatever. And, th and then the parish is now you have this like assimilation of, of what's being projected from the diocese. Now the, the now the parish guys like oh the priest is like, oh, how do I? Yeah. 
if if you're on a local level in a parish, you can say, hey, guys, reach out to people digitally, use these types of things, right? Like guidance like that. But, you know, when you actually execute on the, the platforms and whatever it is that they're doing, that, that kind of throws parishes off. And I'm, I probably shouldn't be saying this, you know, because I don't work in a parish, but – I mean, we've worked with a lot of parishes, you know, and you've some worked with a lot of parishes. You you definitely have a perspective because you were a seminarian. You've you've yeah. you know have been in the parish offices. You've know you know the church very very well, and yeah. I think it I think it begs the point that this is why the church is not a communist institution because it believes and for many many reasons, but you know it believes in subsidiarity. Subsidiarity yeah. is everything when it comes to culture, because the power is with the people and the response of the people. And the fact that we can come together and develop a culture on a local basis, that's what is enriching. The music at a local level, the the festivities at a local level, the, the proclamation of the word at a local level, all across the world. That's the beauty and that's the strength of the Roman Catholic yeah. Church in every single nation is subsidiarity. And it's not a top-down controlling mechanism. That's why canon law protects subsidiarity with the pastor and that local juridic person that is the parish, right? That the, yeah. that but we also do have a hierarchy with a bishop, and that bishop there is to tend his flock. Absolutely. That is his right. job. Absolutely. So there also has to be a role of solidarity. And that's what I wanted to yeah, and that's what I wanted to get into because what you were saying, Sheil, brought to mind something that we had on a previous episode, what the church looks like in the future. So, you know, hindsight 2020, right? So should the bishops have said, you know, hey, we're gonna lift the dispensation? Maybe not. Maybe people should have been obliged to attend the liturgies digitally. Maybe that should have been, you know, an obligation. If they can't, you know, and and if they we, we are an incarnational church, there's no way yeah. to oblige someone to view something digitally that is so outside of the realm of <clears throat> canon law. You yeah, know, the other thing, but I think you could apply the same canon though to that in in respect to like the elderly person that's sick. Obviously, like there's no obligation over you. You don't you don't commit mortal sin because you're frail or you can't attend or or your body is unable to get up out of bed and and attend the local church. That's when the church comes and ministers to you. In the same manner, the church is coming to minister to you digitally to participate. If you don't have the means or the finances to be able to, you know, have EWTN on your on your television or Catholic TV, or you don't have any way to to view anything online or someone to help you view it online. Obviously, there's no mortal sin there. You you know, you you've made your effort, you're trying, but you can't reach that that effective end, which is, you know, responding to the obligation. Yeah, I just think that's impractical to attach um, the degree of mortal sin or even venial sin to not being able to view something digitally. I just, I don't think that's practical, has any precedence in, in canon law or, or in praxis. I don't think that's, that's realistic, but, uh, you know, it made sense for them ostensibly to put that dispensation for attending mass because most people were not able to go either legally or practically because mm-hmm. of the situation. But a lot of that is kind of loosening up and lightening up. Right. Yeah. It is. When, but but at but the same time, like these are unprecedented did, times, Shield. Like these are really unprecedented times. Are they? No, so, they're not. I mean, well, how no, many times did the so. church live through plagues no, before? No bishop how was prepared times? for this. No, no bishop generationally. Was Cardinal was prepared for this. No pastor was prepared for this. We've been pivoting. Some people are better at pivoting than others. But you know, like what we do now is is key. We've been we've been immersed in this circumstance for a while, and I do think looking to the future of how we should be able to minister to people safely within a social distance, having masses outside that are that are set up by the diocese, having larger facilities rented out for masses that create a better sense of safety. Safety that's communicated. Yep. I think bishops can easily do that, and yep. and and you know I think that would be one practical uh, solution. And we've actually talked about that. That was kind of what I was referencing in one of our other shows. You know, what does the church look like? Do we centralize and mobilize the community on a larger level and larger venues? These are but some would of the, the government. Things- would the government allow that? I doubt it. Certainly not so in California. Certainly not. Own, like I've got a big piece of property that's fields. I could fit I could fit thousands of people here. It doesn't know, matter. I mean, you get a thousand people. The governments, look, there. You think Gavin Newsom in California is going to allow that to happen? There's no way. 
No. The, you are going to have a battle between these governors and between the the authorities over opening churches. I mean, you're seeing it all the time. Well, and you can Ryan, Ryan, this is a time to read. This is a time to assess a spiritual opportunity, right? right. If I was if I was a bishop, a pastor, whatever, it's like, where is God in all this? There, God, God makes the crooked line straight with any with any in the face of any obstruction yes. or he can he wins every single time. So, so the eyes, the heart has to be looking for this. In this particular circumstance, the the benefit is sitting down with your mayor, your governor, and saying, "Hey, look, man, we've got people that are hungry. They eat the, they eat the flesh of our Lord, it, right?" And so they don't care, dude. They, they don't oh, care. I know they don't care. I know they don't care. You can have a you can have a ten thousand person protest, but you cannot have more than fifty people in a church. But but I think think generalizations again pigeonhole us. If we if we're generalizing and saying that this is every governor, no, that yeah, I could I could agree. California, yeah, yeah. you know, but Ohio, New York, not going to happen. But but you can't you can't generalize. So there are good governors out there. The majority. And it's it's hard to it's hard to say, but I I want to I want to follow up with what Delacross was saying from Saint Paul to the Romans chapter eight, one of my favorite chapters in in Romans, and certainly one of uh, the greatest parts of of the New Testament for me personally. It really speaks to me. This was just uh, from a, a previous weekend, brothers and sisters. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, and th- and that's the thing. Like God, God's uh, accompaniment. And the power of his, I will be with you always, of that of that word of promise, th- this will work out for the good. It, it is God's activity among man that, that moves the heart committed to sin, to transformation, conversion, metanoia, to a new becoming, a new beginning, a new man, where the old man passes away. That is the work of God. And I, I have to believe that this transitus, if you will, in the sense of St. Francis of Assisi, this, this transitus, this kind of death that we're experience, experiencing is going to give l- new life to the world and how purely that will come out of the church. I'm seeing the charismatic edges, not, not you know, like a, a sectarian sense of charismatic. I'm saying, you know, catechetically and scripturally, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit active in the world right now among populations around the world that are going to be moving this message forward in a new way. And that's what's exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. but all, but the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit also, you know, here on earth requires the participa- participation of man. And if it was just the Holy Spirit and not man continuously bungling things, well, you wouldn't have churches closing all over the country over the last 50 years. So it's not just... Uh, granted that the Holy Spirit's going to usher in a golden age right. and of, of the church. that it, it takes the participation of the laity, of the clergy, of the hierarchy, of everyone. And I, I have serious doubts that there's going to be um, bishops with enough backbone to say there's got to be a point. Ryan, you said God makes straight lines, right? And that's what people need to seek is God. But God's in the Eucharist. And you can't get more than 50 people at a time in most places. You can't. Those are the rules. And there's going to have to be some bishops who say, look, we're just opening up and this just has to happen. You know, we're taking that risk. I mean, it's going to have to happen at some point because otherwise it will be continuously delayed and delayed and delayed and more and more people will leave the church. It's, so there has to be a breaking point where they say, look, if you can have 10,000 people in a protest, if Walmart is vital and you can have as many people as you want in Walmart. If um, the the weed dispensaries in California are vital to be open, well, surely right. churches need to be, and the bishops need to say, no more. You are not putting us in boxes anymore as a non-vital thing. We are the only vital thing. Everything else is an incidental in life. Only the Eucharist right. matters. And yeah. that's what I'm saying is that we're not seeing that yet. And that point yeah. is coming. But you, we are going to have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves when that point comes. Father, when you have to start telling people, if you don't show up this weekend, you're in mortal sin, and if you die, you're going to hell? Too bad if you're afraid of coronavirus? Make it? That's going to be a difficult position for you, but it's going to happen. And I don't think enough priests are prepared for that, and they're not getting the guidance from the bishops or the leadership from bishops. And that's, again, that's a generalization, 
but it's not happening, right? So what happens? Father, how yeah. do you tell when it's time for people to come back? If you don't show up because you're scared, you're going to hell if you die. Yeah, so at what, point, do? does that, at what point does that become a reality? That's, right? that's like, uh, soon. In the next couple months, that's the pastor, you know, Father Ryan Shield speaking. You know, for for me, a terrible priest. We agree. agree. So, so for me, it's it's what I'm seeing among my people. It was the it was the first, um, it was the first weekend that that um, we were going to go into quarantine, and we had to by by diocesan order close our doors, right. And that was very, very painful. But my message to the people was faith over fear. And people are wearing t- – they've made T-shirts, faith over fear, right? Our faith will be purified. We will overcome the fear. We will realize the reconciling power of Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection in the context of all of this. We will proclaim that. Our numbers will increase. In the context of what the apostolic church saw in the first century and how much martyrdom happened all the way to the fourth century, and the fact that their numbers continue to increase, that's the purification that I see. So yeah, maybe but, we take a drop early, in number. Maybe we take a drop in number. Yeah, we did in we did in uh, February. You know, like the third week of February and the fourth week of February, we hit a seventy percent drop in contributions to the church. That's a huge. That's a huge number across the board. Sixty some odd percent, right? Gener- generally across the country. Some places have been able to rebound. Other places have not been able to rebound. And I think it comes down to how people pivoted what the the consistency of of the population of the congregation but i do believe wholeheartedly that this pivot and this purification ultimately is going to draw up yes a core group of people but that core group of witnesses charismatically again will proclaim this message that reaches this generation because it is a message that is absolutely necessary to hear and our younger generation is hungry for it because they're going to realize the emptiness of the politics. They'll realize the emptiness of the, the poly science and the philosophies of today. And they, they'll say there has to be something more out there. It's the same thing that the three of us went through in our own youth and adolescence. We embrace the culture that is in this world. And then we started to realize that there's a vacuum in me and I am unhappy and I don't have any reconciliation. And we searched and discovered the, the Holy Spirit is still active in the church, and that is never going to change. I don't care what type of power or political power or person comes against it. It will ultimately fail, like Delacroix said. Yeah. God will always come out victorious. Yeah, so I, I, I was you know thinking about what you said. My response, Ryan, would be um, these are not unprecedented times. I mean, if you look at it spiritually, They're if not. you look at it spiritually, the first three centuries, uh, first yeah, three centuries. You know, the 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 abject poverty of Christians politically and and soci- sociologically uh, that that they endured, right? Is like our governors are not hanging us upside down and lighting you know fires with our heads and and bodies, right? They're not doing that, not yet. Um, but but these. The, the, these times right here are, are no—I mean, they're, they're no match for the first three centuries. And if God can work through that, if God can bring all these saints—and the first 30 popes were martyred, right? They were killed or whatever. I mean, it was like the number is astounding that, that what this church endured, the blood of these people, how it birthed growth into the church. I mean, like, if God can work through that, he can work through this. That's yeah, my those- thought. But those first three generations spiritual. or those three centuries, they had that heroic witness and it required that heroic witness. It required yeah. that defiance to the government right now. A lot of times I've heard it said that if Jesus came back today, he wouldn't have been crucified. He'd been he'd be ignored. Right. Right. That's because true. that's the world we live in now. And the government's not going to light you know fires with Christian bodies now. They'll just be yeah. ignored and relegated. Right. Yeah. So it's a different political mm-hmm. reality right now. 
But again, it's that heroic witness. And also, people have been deprived of church, but of also a lot of the other experiences, whether it's concerts or restaurants. And you're going to have you're going to find that a lot of people have been trapped in their houses or minimizing what they can do over the last few months and find that a lot of them realize what's really important is not the things that they've been experiencing for the majority of their life in the world and what the world has right. to offer. And they're going to have find that they didn't really miss that stuff. But what they have is a deeper yearning or an aching in their heart for something more. It's an opportunity right now. And it's a big uh, divergence which way the church goes. There's a lot of people who have been starved for something of meaning, and they are looking for it, and the church needs to be able to respond to it and feed that need on the other side of this thing. Or they can live fearfully, and people are just going to never come back. The church needs to be brave. Yeah, I, I think I think the circumstances are different, but I disagree. I, I always think the Holy Spirit is is working in and through our church, through people who are giving themselves to and 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 you know the the first first three centuries they hid and and prayed mass, right? They went to houses, they went to I mean it was you know, if 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 you know they weren't just lining up in the street saying, I'm a Christian, kill me, they were they were hiding. You know, right. they were ministering to people. Well, we're um, not doing that now, though. But, no one's saying, well, yeah. we're going to have mass no matter what. They say, well, it's dispensed. Mass is a requirement of the church, not of God. I, you don't have I to. Have, I, I've been to an illicit mass given by a priest who is going to families and, and supporting them and, and praying with them. OK, so, I mean, there's stuff going on. It's not there. You is. know, was it there? Weren't, they weren't supposed to do it. But I can tell you, I went there. There was about 20 or 30 people and families and there were people receiving communion and crying. This is after a month, right? Look at what happened at St. Peter's in Poland, San Francisco, with that wedding that took place, you know, and, yeah. and they secretly had, and then the government came in to shut them down. You That's know, exactly like, what we're talking about, yeah. It's, it's happening, but, but, you know, allow me to qualify something, too, about unprecedented times. I'm talking about the generations from the 70s on, especially even people in the, that went through the Cold War. How many people in the pockets of America really didn't kind of turn a blind eye to it or, you know, just kind right. of live the prosperity that came to the country after World War II? So, you know, when it comes to unprecedented times— in our consciousness, in our memory, in our own personal experience, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, this is something that we have not experienced yet. And I hear people talk, yeah. talk about it all the time, like even with the tensions politically, the tensions seemingly racially that, that's being driven into our brains, whether that's the reality or not. So, you know, we're, we're seeing all of this stuff and all this pressure on society for change. And that pressure is really constricting over our experiences. And it is causing a pressure that is unprecedented. But for those who explore history, those who open up the Bible and explore what God is saying to you, with those who look at the church in the early three, four centuries of, of their witness, are going to be able to draw from the very roots of the church a strength that is unbelievable. And that's that's what is the testimony of belief. Call it optimism, if you will. I'm going to call it faith. I have faith that the church will continue to grow in light of the suffering. And that's why I think in droves people will come to this message, because it is such a powerful, controversial, countercultural message that the world can easily see a value in and turn to because it is sick of the world. Right. Yeah. And, they, and I agree with you. And if, if it was preached with that kind of uh, with that kind of passion and with that kind of confidence, people would respond to it because the world needs something right now that they're not getting They're They are starving out there from all the poor nutritional, spiritual food that's out there. Um, but the bishops and the priests and the Pope and the hierarchy and the clergy need to be willing to have this message right now, strongly and out there. Um, and it, if it doesn't happen, it's going to be a massive missed opportunity right. that will have spiritual and demographic repercussions for generations. So I think that's the point of, of at least my side of it is that it really needs to be addressed carefully, thoughtfully, shrewdly, and prayerfully the response to churches fully opening back up or of continued restrictions, what the response will be to that. Because it can't be any more that it can't be ongoing that it's 
an option, that there's a dispensation, that it's, well, yeah, you know, Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist is, it's nice, but you don't have to. That That's not going to work. You're not going to build a church of heroic virtue that can counter the culture <laughs> and provide something different to the world with that kind of attitude. So it needs to but, change quickly. But in that, But in that nuance, you know, in that nuance of this dispensation, at some point in time, the line has to be drawn, right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Pastorally, the line has to be drawn, and and that that is a very I think that's a very important thing because you've got what it used to be like ninety percent now it's fifty percent don't even know what the they're they're eating they're consuming. Right which is a huge problem of ministry in the church because like if everybody goes to McDonald's, they know they're going to get a hamburger, some fries and some Coke, right? It's like, but people are going to church and they don't even know what they're doing there. Like they have this ambiguity, this, this, the, the faith that's, you know, and sown in the rocks, you know? And, uh, and so this is a great time to say, Hey, this is what we're doing here. You know, this is, this is the, the, the catalyst of all things related to your faith, right? You know, and that's that's why you're going to hell. That's why, you know, like it's because you're rejecting this. But mm-hmm. you, I mean, like people are rejecting the faith a lot of times because, you know, they were taught felt banners and and you know crappy homilies and whatever for years, you know, and and we're and there's a product of that, and I was one, right? Yeah, so you know. But, you know, people always say, well, well, the Latin community, Latin mass communities are exploding. I love the traditional mass. That's what my liturgical preference is. But, OK, you your your Latin mass parish went from 200 families to 300 families. That's a massive growth statistically. But in the in the corporate world of the church of hundreds right. of thousands of churches, nothing. that's nothing. That's a trip. That's a that's like Sears shutting down. But Craftsman is doing well. Great, yeah. but the whole organization is not going to live off of just that. Sure, um, you're having some anecdotal growth in these more traditional communities, but that's not a growth that's going to sustain and grow the church demographically into the 21st century. And people who do that are cherry-picking data to kind of defi- defend and define tradition as, as this like bulwark and fear. Like, if you don't go to this traditional mass – the church is going to die because that's the only area that's growing. That is that's fool's gold demographically, and it's right. something that's just being pushed by people who don't really care to know or are deceiving people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, at some point in the history of the church, obligation was introduced, right? So from the origins of the charismatic church of the first three centuries, they, they were not. Oh, yeah, obli- Last Supper, do this in memory of me. That's the yeah. obligation. Do this, do this as end. often as you will in memory of me, right? So so the the command there is do this as often as, as, you, as you will. And the and Catholic I, church practices this every single day, like, and, and has been and will continue to practice this ritual every single day until the end of time and and that's that's an important uh understanding to have you know i understand the distinction that the obligation to attend mass is a precept of the church not of divine command correct you are to keep holy the sabbath that is the divine command the precept to maintain and to go to mass on sundays is of the church now it's binding because of Matthew 16, 18, it is a binding thing that the church can bind and lose. So there is the distinction, and I understand that, Padre, and I think it was important to bring that up. So, Yeah, that's a very, that's a very deep and profound nuance, right? Yeah. Or, or, it's, important to, it's important to understand, so it does guide things, Padre, and I think that's where you're going with this, is that it does kind of guide the way that the church can respond to this pastorally mm-hmm. i'm gonna bind and lose things in my house i'm gonna be like i just bound you to this <laughs> vinnie yeah. boobots i knew you were gonna i knew the first person you thought it was vinnie <laughs> he, he needs binding and loosing no and and i do i do genuinely see a need for bishops to coordinate effective gatherings and counsel with their priests and with, you know, to really structure an effort among brother priests to respond to these present, present days, 
right? And I do see great leadership in the church. I do see, you know, excellent bishops who are really speaking out. There's there's a brother that uh, that I've been touched by recently, um, Archbishop Paul uh, Russell. He's uh, the priest bishop. He was in Boston, titular Archbishop of Novi, Papal Nuncio in Turkey. You know, he's been he's been speaking very, you know, outwardly on social media and stuff like that. And we need people to, you know, not that not that he's speaking absolutely or em- emphatically or, or, you know, like um, from a, from a sense of of a, of a perfect proclamation, but he's speaking. Right. And and that's what we need. We need counsel. We need people coming up with creative concepts of how we can maintain the practice of the faith and doing that collegially, doing that united in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. That's why councils are so uh, important among the church's history. That's why, you know, Vatican I, Vatican II, Ephesus, all of these different, you know, the Council of Nicaea, all of these councils that we've talked about in previous episodes, they're important for the progression of the proclamation of the gospel and new evangelization. We can't go back to a golden age of the church when there was no such thing. You know, the way that we move forward, we aren't going to move forward into a golden age either. The church is in a constant state of following Christ with the cross that is entrusted to us. Take up your cross and follow me, the Lord says. So we have to see, understand, and conceptually draw this cross to our shoulders and draw strength from Christ who leads us today. And and he is continuing to lead the church by the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of his word that brings life. And, And that I am so inspired by because... I'm being ministered to by the liturgical structure of the church. I'm being ministered to by the lectionary and the word that is given to the church each and every day from the time coronavirus set in till now. Every week, I'm still blown away like, God, wow, this is exactly what we need to hear. And and people are hearing it. Uh, but I, I do agree with you, Sheila, in the sense that there is clearly a lesser number of people hearing it. But I have to believe that that is creating a vacuum within people that once they listen to this word, once they listen to the proclamation of the gospel of today, then they're going to respond. I had a a woman that wasn't Catholic in the church, front row, sitting with a friend that was she was invited to come. And her face the entire time during the liturgy was in wonder and like wonder, like what God was speaking to her in her heart. And she expressed that to the people around her. And she had never been in a Catholic church before. Right? So I'm, I'm seeing the possibility, like you all are saying, the opportunity that you all are saying, and we have got to seize it, but we really need to mobilize as a collegial body. And this is to, to brothers in the seminary. This is to brothers in the priesthood, the presbyterate. This is to, to our bishops that, that are entrusted with shepherding the diocese. You know, we need to collegially work these things out and present ideas and pastoral concepts that reach the people today in these circumstances. We need your help. Absolutely. Yeah, very well said. And you're right. There is no golden age of the church. We are always going to be the church militant striving and carrying that cross. The golden age of the church comes, um, you know. After the Perugia, it comes in heaven. That's the golden age of the church when we are the church triumphant. Mm -hmm. So to try to say that there's some golden age of the church on earth is, I guess, the trad side of liberation theology. Right? I like that, dude. We need to capture that in the soundbite. That was fantastic, dude. But that doesn't mean to say that we should not work to build up the kingdom of God on this earth. And the bishops having some leadership, having some defiance, having some pushback on the authorities who won't open mass. When people do come back, have a more more traditional liturgy. It doesn't have to be Latin liturgy, but have a more somber and enriching liturgy that's joyful, but also um, reflective of the representation of the sacrifice of Calvary. Have good liturgy. Don't come back with, you know, guitars blaring and like nothing ever happened. People are going to come back and they need to have something that's life-changing. So provide it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we go, what's one thing, each of us, one thing that the church needs to do when people are coming back full scale that will help them uh, retain those people and not lose people? One thing quickly, like 30 seconds. Tell the cross you roll, man. 
Man, I'm not a pastor. Don't you be putting that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. Uh, here's here's Bobby. my my take. If I were to answer that in 30 seconds, is that, and and and, and honestly, this was this is God, this is God. Like, this is like what He asked me to do is bring people to Christ through the digital space. Right? There is a very specific veil that is there. When people are looking at the faith, they're not feeling like they're being ushered in. They're not feel they're doing it at their own pace. They're able to look at it without people, you know, knowing that that's what they're doing. And there is an opportunity there, right? Well, so. that's what I would say. That's what I would say. And I'm I'm not, you know, professing this is, you know, hey, come to our business, Fuzadi, we'll take care of you. No, I'm just saying that this is what he put in my heart ten years ago. And that's this how I've been living my life. That's why we're doing this show. That's why I'm doing this show with you guys. We're doing right. it digitally. So people yep. are able to listen, learn, go at their own pace to, to look at this stuff. And, and, and God works through that. Um, so that's, that's my, I take. agree. Yeah. I ain't no faster, that, this is yeah. the rainy day fund. Spend that rainy day fund now and invest it. Make sure you're getting out there and reaching those people and encouraging them and having a plan. If you need a plan, Figure yeah. one out. There's there's and, ways and to do we, that, and we see it every day. It's what we our do for a living. Are day. getting a, are are getting returns from heaven. They're also getting monetary returns, you know, to keep them going and to to help them grow. Like right. this is what God wants. God wants to advance His kingdom, whether it's online or through the roads of Rome or you know wherever it is. You know, there's always an opportunity there. We'll never we'll never not have opportunities, mm-hmm. right? So this that's that's kind of my take on it. And this may be this may be a narrow opportunity. And that's okay. The church has right. had to go through narrower gates, right? Yep. Um so Sheil, since since we had lay perspective from uh Ryan Delacross, I think I want to hear what you have to say first and then maybe I'll I'll share the the pastoral uh, opinion. He, he's not a hopeful man, Father. <laughs> oh, I am. I am a I'm hopeful joking. man. I'm joking. I'm he's joking. a man of faith, hope and love. That's right. And pragmatic reality, though. Also. <laughs> you know, again, you got to be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. But I think that the one thing that is going to get the church the most, um, hey, right, the one that's going to bring the most souls in is having a real, and and this is not a you know an anti-scientific screed or anything along those lines, but having a defiance of a culture that views them as non-essential. And fighting that tooth and nail, because the second you allow yourself to be determined and categorized as non-essential, you are non-essential to the culture. You are. If you are not essential and you don't even fight it, you don't mean anything to the culture. And you need to be fighting that every day. If you are a bishop, if you are a priest, you need to be telling the government, we are the only essential thing. Don't fear what kills the body. Fear what kills the soul. And we are the only thing preventing the death of the soul because only the church contains the charisma of the truth and the fullness of truth and the Eucharist. That's the only thing that matters. And if the church is not saying that now, well, they are just allowing themselves to be completely relegated as an inconsequential thing. And that is suicide. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. And to to follow up um with what you just said, Sheil, I feel similarly, the most important thing for us to do is to press back against this ideology that has labeled the church a inconsequential and inessential, you know, group of people. And that we don't have the freedom to be able to gather, especially when people can protest now right next to each other without social distancing, or like you said, people can go into Walmart and now Walmart has come out and said that they're not enforcing masks. Which is unwise. Don't to... I don't want the bishops to be unwise, but it's unwise to go and get in a group of 10,000 people and protest. It's unwise, but it's allowed, but it's not allowed for the church. It's not allowed for the church. So again, this is presenting an ideology, a political ideology that is clearly and aggressively scathing the church's role in society in America today. I want to make sure that that is very, very clear. So that presents the church, the necessary obligation and the mystical body of the church, especially the laity, because that is where the power is 
to not only with, you know, not only by themselves, but with the bishops to be able to communicate this is an ideology that is pressing against the American ideal, the freedom to worship, as well as, as well as our ability to exist in the world today. Yeah. And that is that is very that is very oppressive. And I agree. And if we if we back down and just kind of roll over, th- there's nothing good that's going to come out of that. It is it is suicide. And, you know, the fact that this political power wants to eliminate our tax exempt status. Once that happens, let me be very, very clear. <laughs> we a greater majority of churches like a ton of churches will close down. You think coronavirus is bad. You remove tax exempt status from from churches, we we cannot exist. We mm. cannot exist. It'll be it'll be like the old church where we're going around to this property, this person's house or whatever. Like we don't want to continue on this backwards sloping slide right now. So we have to do our due diligence. We have to see how these political entities are influencing this ideology, especially among the young, especially among, you know, those who are in their twenties and thirties and forties, you know, the older generation is alarmed. I'm hearing it all the time because they went through it. They went through the cold war. They went through Vietnam. They went through, you know, the, the aftermath of, of world war II and seeing the evils of communism and, and, and seeing the evils of Nazism. Right. So, you know, more to talk about and, and more things for us to do. So, and I, I just want to have this one last point because I know you do get on the tirade about guitars at mass, you know, what we need right now, <laughs> is to sing a new song to the Lord, Ryan. Oh Taylor. my gosh, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, guitars, guitars during the podcast, fine. <laughs> but during Mass, no thank you, sir. So let me say this. In the poverty of the local parish, right, some of us may not be able to afford an organ or an organist, some people may not be able to afford a pianist. Maybe there's no piano, grand or minorly, you know, baby grand inside the church. But a, a guitar is affordable. And let me say this. <laughs> let me say this. Not this one, dude. This is expensive. Listen, I've listened to your position for years now. And I, wanna, I just want to throw this out in your brain right now. I have a young lady who just graduated high school. And I know that you've watched a few of my masses. Mm-hmm. She's learning the piano currently. Mm-hmm. She's taking up leadership in, in leading worship in song on a subsidiarity level. And she is currently writing music from the poems of St. Faustina with the diary and the first class relic that we have in our parish every single night. And she just presented one this past liturgy this weekend. And it is absolutely moving because it's coming from the purest level of her heart to God and devotion. And it is inspiring my whole community and it's inspiring me as well. So when it comes down to it, good music and subsidiarity and the movement of how people need to respond to these days with a melody that makes sense, that is appropriately driven in this time is going to be very, very helpful. So, you know, to all of our musicians and artists out there, make sure you're putting out your work. And this is, and we could go into a greater detail on like liturgical music as opposed to popular music and how that's driven. I know we talked about in previous episodes, but you know, to respond today, you know, and to devoutly implore God with a new song, I think would be would be something uh, beautiful for God. And to all of our to all of our supporters out there, especially our patrons, we want to say thank you so much. Without your contributions and your financial support, we would not be able to do the show and continue it. So if you're considering becoming a financial contributor to our show, please go to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show. There you'll see every way that you could support us financially, and we could support you with some cool memorabilia and some nice gifts. So to all of our followers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, make sure that you're commenting charitably. Even this past this past uh, weekend, you know, a couple of comments were kind of aggressive. So let's make sure that we're being charitable and constructive. 
The social media can become the marketplace of ideas. Our political structure should be one that is a marketplace of ideas. We should be able to engage rationally and logically and hold positions intellectually to be able to communicate them with charity and grow together. And again, we want to thank you for listening to the show. And I want to thank Ryan Scheel and Ryan Delacross for being such great friends. And, And it's wonderful to walk this journey of faith with you. And I look forward to the droves of people who purely love Christ to continue to revolutionize the world by the transformation of their hearts. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.